Well, we spent some wonderful time in song. Uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us as we have remembered that our Father is a good, good Father. Uh, we know that everything that God does is good because He is the uh, good, uh, giver of good gifts, as it tells us in the book of James. Uh, and so as we prepare our hearts to receive another gift, as we take a look into the Word of God this morning, uh, let's bow our hearts and our minds as well as our heads as we prepare to receive the Word of God this morning through a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for uh, this time this morning. We thank you for each one that's here this morning, uh, how you're working in their hearts and their minds to uh, continue to conform them into your image. Uh, for each and every believer here today this morning, that they are growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Son, uh, that as we have uh, spent the last couple of weeks looking at this uh, vast love of Christ for us, uh, I pray that uh, for each believer here this morning that uh, as we finish out this thought, um, as we draw closer to the end of chapter 3, uh, that they will have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth uh, of your love for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, a love that surpasses knowledge. Uh, and how it is all building towards the end goal of us being filled with all of your fullness. Uh, and so, Father, may you grant that to us this morning. Lord, I pray for anyone that does not know your son this morning, that maybe has been questioning what this is all about, who Jesus is, why do I need a Savior? Uh, Lord, that you would answer those questions through your Spirit this morning, that they would, for the very first time, experience this vast love of Christ. Uh, in a uh, salvific way, uh, trusting Jesus as their Savior. And so, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, this is the third part in this little mini section here that uh, was verses 17 to 19 that I entitled The Vast Love of Christ for Us. Uh, and so we have our context before we step into the strength to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Um, let's read verses 17 to 19 uh, together so that we uh, know uh, what our context is and where we're going uh, this morning. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So today our focal point is going to be verses 18 and 19 as we close out looking at this vast love, which last time we looked at the, the uh, breadth and length and height and depth, and we looked at what the scriptures have to say in relation to each one of those aspects. And today we're going to take a look at that phrase, uh, to comprehend. Now, you know, you've had conversations with individuals where you're talking with them and all of a sudden the, the deer in the headlights look is, you know, looking back at you because what you're saying is it's not getting through. Um, and uh, I made a joke this morning and I'm not sure it went over well. Um, so I'm not sure I'll maybe preface it with that. But uh, there's times where in talking with Michelle, and this is not Michelle's fault, this is coming from the communicator side, that sometimes I just don't communicate uh, clearly. 
so that Michelle can comprehend what I'm trying to, to say. Uh, and so uh, there's a, an aspect in which when we find ourselves either trying to communicate something or when we're trying to learn something, that it, it can be just a, a, a basis of facts. It can be just information. Uh, and we end up losing what we would consider the actual comprehensive understanding of that, where we are able to perceive what is being communicated, that we can actually learn from it. Uh, and there is a difference, because otherwise, if we just you know, take the time to memorize, say, the entire Bible, it can become just a textbook. It can become something that is not real and alive and living and active. Uh, the truths that we hear from that word uh, can be, you know, in our estimation, something that uh, does not have any effect. It doesn't change who we are. Uh, and so Paul here, uh, and using this uh, compound Greek word that he has here in our text this morning, uh, the word katalambano, it literally means to lay hold of with the mind, to understand, to perceive, or learn. And so what we want to do this morning as we, we finish up this vast love of Christ is we don't want it just to be a bunch of random facts that you can file in your mental file cabinet under the, the heading love, okay? Because this is not just a love, this is the love of all, because this comes from the God who is love. And what Paul is praying here is something that we should pray for ourselves as believers today. This should be our prayer when we wake up every morning, is that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Because the thing is, is we're not going to be able to learn this on our own. We're not going to be able to quantify the length, height, breadth, and depth of it if we only look at it through a, an earthly lens. Doesn't matter how learned you are, doesn't matter how many books you read about it, the only way that you're going to comprehend with all the, strength, the, the saints is by having a strength that does not come from within yourself, from your own being, but from the very God who indwells you. It has to come from the Holy Spirit, because otherwise you're not going to have the strength to comprehend it, because it is so vast, because it has a, an infinite directional, dimensional aspect to it because it's not the love of this world because the love of this world can be simply defined as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's what the world sees as love. What can I get out of it? What can I gain from it? And see, that's not what this love is. That's why it's so vast. That's why Paul is saying, you know, in a prayer, you know, God, you are good. You are our good, good father. And the thing is, is we need to have the strength to comprehend this love. A love so that when we come to this time of year, which happens every 12 months where we find ourselves on the cusp of Christmas, for us to understand the baby in the manger in a new and deeper way, for it not just to be caught up in all of the other trappings of what this time of year can, you know, have because you're going over here to go spend time with this particular family member. And at school this week, there's a play that you got to go to. And you know what? Don't you know it? Ellington Baptist Church has got a play that tonight that is going to happen during a snowstorm. You know, 
I don't know that for a fact, but... But you see, the thing is, is you get pulled in all these directions, and the thing is, is we need something to centralize us. We need something that can cause us to stop and to taste and see this love that is beyond comprehension. And the only way that's going to happen is through the Spirit Himself. So I'd like you to take, and and, um, you can keep your finger here in Ephesians 3. You you don't have to, actually. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 4. I'll give you good, you'll be better with the sword drills if we start doing that, you know, in Sunday school again. But Acts chapter 4 uh, is another instance where this same Greek word is used. So I want you to see how it's utilized here in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 4 in verse 13. <clears throat> it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, that word perceived in the English text is that same Greek word, katalambano, Okay, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, the thing is that there was a boldness that separated Peter and John out. And the reason why this separated them out and this boldness all of a sudden was brought to their attention so that they could begin to perceive that something was different here because these are just ordinary, as it says here, uneducated common men that they were astonished. Well, see, the thing is you need to know contextually that this is before Annas, who is the high priest, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who are also part of the high priestly family. So this is kind of a who's who of the, the top religious leaders and the top religious family in Jerusalem at this time. And here's Peter and John, uneducated common men, and all of a sudden these religious leaders are being stopped and are perceiving something profound. How is it that these guys are speaking in this way? Well, look at the context. Back up to verse 8, because from 8 to 12, we understand how it is that Peter and John have this boldness. It says there in verse 8, then Peter, and notice this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So notice this is not just Peter waxing eloquent as a uneducated common man, at least in the eyes of the religious leaders. This is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone." And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then verse 13, now when they saw, and now they perceived. See, the thing is, is when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are able to say and to do things that we cannot say or do in and of our own strength. And see, this use here gives us a beautiful picture of what happens when, as we'll find when we get to verse, uh, the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
is that something miraculous happens to every believer that is yielded to the Spirit of God. And see, the thing is, is as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that at the moment of salvation, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter here, speaking in this way, he was able to speak boldly. I mean, he is insulting the religious leaders because he's saying there is salvation in no one else. Well, you mean if I, if I just do and abide by the law and am, am a self-righteous individual, that's not enough? Yeah, that's what Peter's proclaiming. And like I said, this is not just on some back alley conversation. This is before the, the religious leaders that he is calling him out. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. So another thing, another thing is, is that whatever you've been teaching the people has been a lie. And here's the truth. And I know the truth because Jesus himself has transformed my life. And that's what Peter is end up doing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you look at this in light of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and then look at it in light of the word comprehend in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, this is how you should see that word comprehend. It's a, it should mean to grasp fundamentally the all-permeating greatness of a love of Christ. Let me say that again. To grasp fundamentally the all-permeating greatness of a love of Christ. A love, as we find from Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, God is not stingy with his love. And matter of fact, as we consider all of this, this, this vast love of Christ, what we need to see as believers today is the fact that this love is God's gift of himself. Okay? God isn't just, you know, by proxy or by some other means showing his love. God himself is the gift of love. And we see that beautifully in who we sung about this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, God's son, taking on human flesh. See, God's gift of himself through his son, Jesus Christ, is something that only those who are spiritually alive can comprehend. Only those that are filled with the Spirit can comprehend. Otherwise, it'll just become a reality, but not something that is practical in that reality. We can know about the love of Christ. We can know that it's vast, but we don't really comprehend its length, breadth, height, and depth. Because we, 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 you know, we've already been there. Well, it's Christmas time again. It's, it's about Jesus, the baby, in the manger. See, the thing is, we can become calloused to this love of Christ. And that's why Paul is, is having this prayer for us to not forget that love. Part of what we do on Communion Sunday is, is for that purpose. We don't do this just to do it. This is a remembrance of what Christ did for us, that, that prime example of love, that greatness of God giving himself as the gift. And see, this love of Christ may be incomprehensible to a world enslaved in sin, but as believers here today, anyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ, my brothers and sisters here this morning, 
You need to see that this is part of everyday living in the Christian life. It's for you to be praying each and every day, God, give me the strength to comprehend the length, the height, the depth, and the breadth of your love for me in Christ. Don't let me become callous to it. Don't let me think that I know everything there is to know. Help me to see that the Spirit has something to teach me even more deeply. Because the Spirit can fill me and give me a boldness to proclaim that love, even in a culture that is antagonistic to the gospel message, that is tearing down manger scenes everywhere and erecting everything else in relation to this holiday that is anything but Christmas. So much so that it's Xmas. And I've watched that deteriorate even in my own lifetime. I want you to see this love because this love is something that Jesus speaks to in relation to the extent to which he loves those that belong to him. So I want you to turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So just before he's ready to sacrifice himself, it says, having loved his own, so past tense, having loved who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Those are really impactful words. Jesus loved them because he had been loving them. He didn't stop loving them when he hung on the cross. He loved them to the end. He loved them when he said, it is finished. He loved them when he died on the cross. He loved them when he was buried. He loved them when he was risen from the dead. See, it's through his loving service to everyone he came in contact with, the teaching that he you know, proclaimed so that people, you know, walked away and said, didn't our hearts burn in our chests? Isn't he speaking as one who has authority? Yes, he has authority because he is the son of God. He is the authority. When he gently corrected them, when they had misconceptions as to why he was really there. Well, Jesus, no, you don't need to die. No, but that's why he came. See, the manger is incomplete without the cross. Because the manger was significant that joy had been brought into the world. Because through faith and trust in Jesus and him alone, we can have forgiveness of sins. But see, that would not be realized until he died on that cross, until he was buried, and then when he rose from the dead. Through his patience with them, his perseverance, his sacrifice, his post-resurrection appearances to them to encourage them because their best friend, the one who taught them in all truth, the one that walked with them, ate with them, prayed with them, prayed over them, encouraged them, was no longer there. And so what did Jesus do? He loved them until the end. Even in his post-resurrection appearances to encourage them in their faith, to let them know that he still loves them that he has not forgotten them. And eventually when he ascends up into heaven, all looking forward to that not being the last. Because the last happens when we are home. 
when those that you know were living in the first century, those that were pre-Christ coming, and for us, 2,000 years into the future, Jesus loved them to the last because he wouldn't look overlook anything, he wouldn't forget anything, and he wouldn't hold anything back because that love does that exact thing. But he also loved them in what was yet to come. Because John 14, one chapter later, Jesus is encouraging them, showing them that this is a love that surpasses knowledge, is let not your hearts be troubled. Because the thing is, is here, the one that walked with them and talked with them and taught them and lived with them, challenged their, their unbelief said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, he didn't just love them to the end of his life here on earth. He didn't stop loving them when he ascended into heaven. Matter of fact, he went to heaven in preparation for his return which is yet forthcoming. It could happen in the next five minutes, five weeks, five months, five years, a hundred years. We don't know. But Jesus is coming back so that we may be where he is also, either by death itself taking us prior to his return or his return taking us to be with him. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end, and he loved them in what was yet to come. See, that is a love of the God who gave himself as a gift, a love that surpasses knowledge because it doesn't make sense. Why? Why would God love us that much? Because God is love, and he chose to show that love through his son, Jesus Christ. Because God is the gift himself. He is the gift of love. Which brings us to the end of verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me read Adam Clark, uh, his commentary here on this passage. He says, Among all the greatest sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater. But to be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding. See, the thing is, is that God's ultimate goal is to make us holy as he is holy. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are given a righteousness not our own. We are given a, a, a will that conforms to the God who created us. Because it is no longer about us being full of ourselves, it is about us being filled with all the fullness of God. What we're doing is we're laying aside all of those things that the world loves. We're not being filled with the desires of the flesh or the desires of the eyes or the pride of life. Instead, what we are seeking is a kingdom not of this world. We are seeking a heavenly abode where Christ has prepared for us a place. We are seeking to be filled with all the fullness of God and not ourselves. 
Some have likened this progression in this prayer to a staircase. I'd like to say that maybe it's like a staircase, maybe it's like a composition, a musical composition, or a journey up a mountain. Because watch, you start at the bottom rung of the ladder or at the, the beginning of the musical composition or at the, the you know, base of the mountain. And it starts by saying that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. See, that's key because everything that we're going to talk about in relation to that point forward is contingent on someone being strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit, which only happens to those who know Christ as their Savior. So there is a strengthening with power through the Holy Spirit. So that bottom section that we're beginning to build on, which then goes to being indwelt with Christ through faith. And the next step, rooted and grounded in love, followed by strength to comprehend the full spiritual dimension of Christ's love, its length, its breadth, its height, its depth, so that we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, bringing us to that very top rung of the ladder, to that crescendo of the composition, to that mountain summit where the end goal of all of this, as we are strengthened with power through the Spirit and dwelt with Christ through faith, rooted and grounded in love, strength to comprehend the fullness of that love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, that's the goal. Because we, we find that as we transition from a life filled with self participating in sin, making it all about ourselves, is that our focus has changed because we are no longer those individuals, because God has given us something grander and more beautiful and something so vast that it it takes the very Spirit of God to give us the strength to comprehend it and to attain it. And that is to be filled with all the fullness of God, because God is supremely glorified in making us holy as he is holy. God created Adam and Eve holy. It wasn't until they chose to disobey God's law to not eat of that tree that they become, became unholy. And see, for those under the new covenant in Christ's blood, as we will celebrate here in a few moments, is for us to see that now in Christ we can be made holy once again. That we can have a righteousness not our own. That it's not by works that we're saved. It's not by being good that we're saved. It is by falling down on our knees in repentance, saying, God, I'm sorry that I've broken your law, that I am a sinner in need of salvation. Because that is when God is glorified. When one Life has been made eternal. See, God is there for the purpose of filling us with all that he is and has. Not so that we become God because we do not become God. That is a false teaching. We are created in the image, in God's likeness. And we have attributes that are like God's. But the goal is, is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God because we are whole when we are filled with all the fullness of God. We are complete because we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
But sin caused a division. Sin caused a stumbling block. Sin keeps us from being whole. That is why people search here, there, and everywhere trying to to feel whole, to feel as though there's reason to live, where there's purpose in life. Why am I here? All those big questions because they are looking in all the wrong places to fill what only God can fill. Because we were first created as spiritual beings with eternal souls. Remember back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See, it was God's purpose, it was God's will to save fallen man. Because it is only when we are filled with all the fullness of God that we experience a love that is so vast that we need the Spirit of God to show us just how vast it is. And when we think we figured it out, when we think we've arrived, that's when he shows us you haven't even begun to understand the love of Christ. That's why it's to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 6. To God be the glory. Because of great things he has done. Because he himself is that gift. So how do we live in light of this fullness? Because as Adam Clark said, he says, it utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding to think that we are to be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the infinite God of all who has no beginning, no end, who is perfect in all of his ways, filling us to all fullness. Wait a minute, God, I don't have that kind of capacity. I think if we had just even an iota, of God filling us, we would literally spiritually explode. But see, that's exactly what light and darkness looks like, right? So when we're filled with that fullness, then we are realizing and living in light of that fullness. Well, how does that happen? Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. See, the thing is, is that our faith and our growth needs for us to be proactive. We need to pray like Paul has prayed for the saints in Ephesus, that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints that love which surpasses knowledge. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we do that by being imitators of God. We take God's word and we say, you know, God, teach me to be like you. Because I know when I am at my best, when I am whole, is when I am filled with all your fullness. John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. See, the thing is, instead of being full of ourselves, we're filled with all the fullness of God. So that means that there needs to be less of me and more of God, which is always a good thing. Because we are certainly full of ourselves. 
Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So who loved you and gave himself for you? Christ did. The Son of God did. So that you would no longer live filled with yourself, but that you would live in light of Christ and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, the good, good Father that you sung about this morning, the joy that you have because you have salvation in Christ. Romans 6.11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, those things that you used to define you based off of the choices that you made in life should not be what defines you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you take the time to look at yourself and look through the lens by which you make decisions, are you making decisions based off being filled with all the fullness of God or based in being full of yourself? Because it doesn't mean you can't make decisions that are beneficial to yourself when you make decisions full of yourself but you're missing out on what God can do in showing you and blessing you and directing you and guiding you when you're full of God and not yourself. So consider yourself dead to sin. Everything that you once loved, you love no longer. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Two more, 2 Peter 3.18 but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge. How do you grow? You spend time in this word. You spend time in Bible study. You spend time getting together with other believers. You spend time in prayer before you come together on a Sunday morning and say, God, prepare my heart to receive your word today. Because God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces. It cuts. It does spiritual divine surgery on our hearts so that our hearts become tender, so that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, so we can be filled with the fullness of God because it is then when God is supremely glorified and that's when we are whole. And have the same conviction as Paul did in his letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So live in light of that reality because God is going to do what God is going to do. And the more that we surrender, the more that we submit, the more that we see that the more I'm filled with the fullness of God, the more whole I am because then I am fulfilling the purpose for which I was created. And that is to glorify the God of heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When I close, as I've closed the last two sermons with some stanzas from the song that we looked at the very first week, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. We're going to start with verse 1 again, or stanza 1, because it sets the stage. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness 
over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to my glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Unto thee, thou Lord of glory, to thy throne and vast domain, to share thy great inheritance and forever with thee reign. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, it will soon be satisfied when the royal kingly bridegroom hath his stately spotless bride, which is speaking of the church, those who were bought and paid for with his precious blood. Yes, with peals of heavenly worship, bowing low as we adore, we will praise him, praise him, praise him through the ages evermore. See, that is someone who ultimately will be filled with all the fullness of God with there out there being a hindrance of sin because we'll have a glorified body fit for eternity that no longer has to battle with the desires of the flesh, no longer needs to battle with being filled full of self, but will be fully filled to the max and overflowing from the God who is a gift, who gave himself as the gift so that you and I can have eternal life in Christ Jesus.